0: good morning for those of you who uh who don't know me my name is david i'm one of the pastors here at mission um and there are quite a few new faces um you know today and if if this is your first time um if you're um, just want to extend that that invitation and that welcome to to all of you so this morning we're going to continue our our series through the sermon on the mount in matthew and more specifically, we're in this section on the, the Sermon on the Mount in which Jesus is, is going back and he's, he's interpreting some of these Old Testament laws. You know, he's, he's going back and he's saying, you have heard it said this, meaning something in the law, and then he's going back and saying, but I say to you, and, this, and he's reinterpreting what it is that the law is actually saying. And so this week we're going to look at what Jesus has to say about the topics of, of marriage, adultery, and divorce. Fun topics. And our, our main top passage today is going to be Matthew five twenty seven to 32. But we're going to pull in other, other passages to get a fuller understanding and, and picture of, of what God's plan for, for marriage is. And before we get into the details, I want to kind of outline our approach and kind of how we're going to, to tackle this passage. And how we've been tackling all these passages in our series. You know, this, the way that we approach the Bible is, is important, but it's, it's especially important for, for this particular series that we're in. And the wrong approach would be the approach that the, the Pharisees are taking to the law. The wrong approach is to try to be, try to construct this, this code of laws, kind of piecing together all these details into this patchwork framework of, you know, all these details that are somehow connected, and we, we try to connect one passage to another, and, you know, when we, when we have questions, we kind of try to figure out the, the details and kind of what individual specific passages are, are saying, and we, you know, when we come up with a, another passage that, you know, maybe sounds a little bit slightly different, how do these things interact with each other? Um, and we're, we're talking about Jesus. Jesus is going to be reinterpreting the law or explaining what the purpose of the law is. And we can come to these types of texts and, and come to it with the, the assumption that Jesus is kind of adding on parts to the law. But what Jesus is doing, he's not adding on parts to the law, he's not adding on more details for us to try to fit into our patchwork of, of understanding of, of the rules and, and regulations that we're supposed to follow. What he's doing is he's interpreting the heart of the law, the spirit of the law, what the law that the Old Testament um, lays forward what it, is, what it is actually saying, what it's actually calling us to, what it tells us about God, his character, what God expects from us. And so that's the approach that we're going to take. We're going to look at the details. We're going to look at the, the passages that, that we have. From that, we're going to develop up this framework, this, uh, these sets of principles about who God is, what he's called us to do, and then once we understand who God is, what his, his vision for marriage is, how he, how he loves, how he expects us to love, then we can apply those, those principles, those, those truths about who God is, then we can apply those to our lives. And so that's the approach that I'm going to, to try to take this morning um, as we go through this. And so in light of that, this morning we're going to take the, the following path through this, through this passage First of all, we're gonna look at the standard. What does God's perfect plan for marriage look like? How does God view adultery? How does God view divorce? What is is his idea, his intention behind the the creation of this uh, institution of marriage? And then we're gonna look at the response. So how do we then live in obedience to God's plan for marriage? So with that in mind, let's take a look at our main passage if you haven't already, please turn to Matthew 5:27 to 32. And when you're ready and if you're able, please stand as I read the passage." Matthew 5:27 to 32 it says, "You have heard it was said, do not commit adultery, but I tell you, in everyone who looks at a woman lustfully, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife must give her a written notice of divorce. But I tell you, everyone who divorces his wife, except in a case of sexual immorality, causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. You may be seated. All right, so we're going to start with the standard. What what does God's perfect plan for marriage look like? And there there are a couple different things I want to step through um, in terms of getting a picture of what God's plan for marriage is. And the first one is, is kind of look, let's look at what marriage actually is in, in terms of like the definition or kind of just a base understanding of, of what marriage is. And for that, we go back way back to the beginning, to Genesis 2, um, with the creation of, of Adam and Eve um, and the, the first marriage, the first union between man and wife. And so uh, Genesis two twenty four says, this is why a man leaves his father and mother And bonds with his wife and they become one flesh and so in this passage we see that marriage first of all it's it's the union of one man and one woman and this is this is about as intimate a relationship as we can get and it's it's intimate because first of all it's it's a one-to-one exclusive relationship this is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife it's it's one man one woman bonded together and that, that exclusivity, that, that one-to-one uh, relationship, you know, that, that means that there's no room for others. It's, it's, a, it's an intentional 100% focus on one another. And that, that's the type of, of focus and dedication that we're, we're called to in a marriage. And that's, that's why adultery is, is such a big deal. It's because we don't, we don't have the capacity to be 100% focused on one person while also... Having um, relationships with, with others, or, or even as we'll see, thoughts of relationships with others, it's, you know it's, it's this exclusive uh, one-on-one type of relationship that that's calls us to be completely 100 percent focused. And we see even that in, in terms of other relationships outside of, of romantic relationships it's, it's curious that verse genesis 2.24 says this is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife. And so, you know, we we see from this passage that that marriage is intended to be our primary relationship. You know, before we get married, our our relationship with our parents typically is, is the most important, the the closest relationship that we have. But when we get married, we we bond so closely to to our spouse that we in order to do that in a sense we leave our father and mother. We, there's a sense in which we need to put some distance in some of our other relationships in order to, to really focus in on our relationship with our spouse. You know, those of you who, who are married and, and have parents who maybe have had trouble letting go when you get married, um, you can understand how this is, can be a source of, of strife and contention in your marriage. If, if your or your spouse's parents are, are trying to hold on tightly to that relationship and um, make, make you choose between your parents or your spouse, it, it can cause friction. And so uh, we're, we're called to Genesis 2.24 says this is our primary relationship. Not that we can't have other relationships, not that we have to shun everybody else, but our main focus needs to be on our spouse. And we also see the, the deepness of the marriage relationship in Genesis 2. Um, it says, this is why man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife, and they become one flesh. This, this word bonds, um, it's translated a bunch of different ways, cleaves, um, I, I forget all the different ways, but it's, it's this sense of, of coming together. and It's, it's a, broad, a broad term, it, it can be used multiple different ways, but it's, it always is in the terms of, of coming together. And so it's, a, it's both a passive Bonding, but also an active bonding. One of, one of the ways that this word can be used is, is a, a following after somebody, kind of like an, an intensely uh, passionate pursuit of just sticking close, like sticking close to somebody. I, you know, I, I, I think of like a, a football, like a defensive back playing man coverage, and he's, he's there to stick as close to, to the wide receiver as possible in order to just get right as close. And anytime time the receiver makes a move, he follows right along, and, and that's what we're called to, to do in a marriage relationship, is to, to stick as close to our spouse as we can. And the, the deepness of that relationship, it, it's, it's, um, it's shown in this, this phrase, they become one flesh. So it's, it's not just two people who are in close proximity to each other, but it's this, it's this coming together in the sense of, of becoming one flesh. And it, it's, hard to, it's hard to describe, it's hard to understand um, it's something that we continually grow in, but, but that's the, the level and the deepness that that God's purpose for marriage is in a marriage relationship. So marriage is, is the union of one man, one woman, and the marriage is also a covenant. And this, this term covenant, covenant is kind of an, an old-timey word. Um, we don't typically use the word covenant, but I feel like covenant is, is the best term for it uh, because covenant is... It's an agreement between two parties um, both parties are, are agreeing to something but it's it's a foundation that the the depth of that covenant is is deeper than just like a you know a handshake deal it's it's a it's a firm deep type of, of covenant um in which we are we are committing to one another you know and it, it's not easily it's not easily broken the the foundation for this, this marriage covenant goes deeper than even, even our local courts um, or civil authority would, would say. And we, we see this, I'm going to s- skip down to the, the third third of, of our passage in, in uh, Matthew 5:31 to 32, to, to kind of show this. And Jesus says, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife must give her a written notice of divorce. But I tell you, everyone who divorces his wife, except in a case of sexual immorality, causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So even if, even if there's a, um, a civil, a legal way uh, of, of ending this marriage, Jesus is just saying the basis of, of our marriage relationships goes even deeper than that. Um, so even, even if you get a a certificate of a divorce uh, Jesus is saying there's still this this bond and this connection uh, between um, husband and wife now I think we need to explain what what the certificate of of divorce is um, because that's something that um, was um, part of of the Jewish culture at the time but you know we we need to understand what it is that they that Jesus is talking about and the the certificate of divorce it comes from the, from the Old Testament law, from the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 24.1 says, If a man marries a woman, but she becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, he may write her a divorce certificate, hand it to her, and send her away from his house. So this is a, a provision for, um, for a husband to uh, write a, a certificate of divorce and hand it to uh, to his wife, and um, and then that the the marriage is, is dissolved, and you know that that seems a little bit flippant in in the way that we you might read it. First of all, um, but I think we have to go back and and remember what what the culture is um, of the time, and we see actually in, in Matthew nineteen, Jesus will explain uh, certificate of divorce a, a little bit more, um, but the the culture of the time was that, that women didn't have any rights or didn't have as many rights as, as, um, as the men did. And so the, the thing that this law is, is protecting against, what Moses is, is doing is, a, is giving a certain amount of, of freedom and independence to, to women. Because the alternative to the certificate of divorce is a husband would be able to send his wife from, from his house and that would be fine for the husband, but, but the wife would still be legally bound to the husband. And so the wife would be unable to remarry, she'd be unable to provide for, for her own self, and she'd kind of be cast out without any, any hope of, of being provided for or, or earning a living on her own. And so the certificate of divorce uh, was, was in place to, to protect against this. So if a husband wanted to, to divorce his wife, to send her away, um, this allowed the, the woman to have the certificate of divorce and be free to, to remarry um, and to, to join a, um, to remarry and, and join a, another household and uh, be provided for in, in that way. And so that, that was the intention. That was to, to be a protection for women. But, you know, as, as is often the case with some of these laws. Um, it was taken in, and, uh, and abused, and um, uh, the, the intention of the law was, was twisted. And so uh, this becomes a, an object of, of debate and question of the day. Uh, and Jesus is asked about this, this particular law in Matthew 19, and verses 3 to 12. It says, some Pharisees approached him to test him, They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife on any grounds? Jesus says, haven't you read, he replied, that he who created them in the beginning made them male and female. And he also said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. And so the discussion of the day was, if you go back to Deuteronomy 24, the, the provision was if a man marries a woman but she becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, then he may write her a divorce certificate. So the, the question of the day was what does that mean, find something indecent about her? And there was, there was basically two camps, two, two schools of thought on, on what this meant, what, what were acceptable grounds in which a man could, could divorce his wife. And, and the first camp was that um, find something indecent about her meant that she was unfaithful, that she had committed adultery, that she had already gone out and, um, and engaged in, in relationship with, with somebody else. The other camp said that find something indecent about her meant anything that the husband found that he didn't like about the wife. It could be anything as, as trivial as you know burning dinner or, or something that you know, seems insignificant, but um this This particular school of thought um, would say that that would be okay, that would be grounds for you would be able to to give this certificate of divorce and so this is the question that that is being asked to Jesus and jesus um, Jesus says you know it's, it's, he, he sides on the camp of, of adultery only that um, Jesus reaffirms that Um, that the the strength of the marriage bond is is something that um, should be should be paramount so he doesn't he doesn't get into the details of the interpretation of of how you would uh, interpret something indecent about her he goes back to the intention of of what marriage is and he says you know because of the foundation because it's so important because it's this intense bonding you know it's It's not easily broken. This covenant is not easily broken. Certainly nothing not for um, anything insignificant. All right, so marriage is the union of one man and one woman. Marriage is a covenant, a deep foundational covenant. And then third, marriage is about selfless, unconditional love. And we see this in, in Ephesians 5, verses 25 to 28. It says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. So Paul is calling us to, to love our spouses as Christ loved the church. And Ephesians 5 talks about husbands particularly, but I think we can, we can take this to mean that both husbands and wives are to love uh, each other. Um, it's, it's not just the husbands are, are called to love, but we're both called to, to love each other. And we're supposed to love in, in the same way that, that Christ loved the church, and that's, that's an unconditional, self-sacrificing type of love, a love that's demonstrated by, by Christ's love for us on the cross of, of dying for our sins. That's the type of, of love that we're called to exhibit. And in Ephesians 5, it, it says we're, we should be caring more about the sanctification, the holiness, the, the care of our spouse than what we are getting out of the marriage. You know, we said, we said that marriage is a covenant, but it's, it's not just an agreement in which both, both parties are trying to get something out of it, uh, trying to benefit from the relationship. You know, if, if we think about this, about, it, about marriage in this way of, what can I get out of, out of this relationship? Uh, then that can, can lead us to, to wanting to try to get out of, of a marriage. If, it's not, if we don't feel like we're, we're being satisfied or, or we don't feel like we are benefiting from, from the marriage either. You know, we think we might be better off on our own. We might be better off with somebody else. And so if, if we kind of lose focus on what we're called to, the kind of love that we're called to, to show our spouse, then that can lead to... Um, us considering you know what what's best for me you now our, our reasons for divorce are almost always self-centered um, you know those I'm no longer happy satisfied I'm no longer in love no longer getting anything out of it and it's, it's kind of counterintuitive but uh, you know we, we tend to be happier in our in our relationships if we're going into it with a self-sacrificial type of mentality we get more out of out of a marriage uh, when we are caring for the other person rather than looking for what we're getting out of it because if, if we're focused on what we're getting out of it we're always going to find ways in which it's that in which that's lacking we're always going to find faults in our spouse we're always going to question whether or not there's there's better ways and so it's, it's better for us in our marriages when we focus in on on our spouse you know and more often than not, when we, when we seek, when we practice this, this unconditional love, more often than not, that leads our spouse to, to reciprocate in kind. It's, it's easier to, um, to bring our spouse along uh, when we show our, an example of, of the love that we're called to live rather than uh, trying to coerce it out of them and, and trying to get them to show us the love that, that we feel that we, we deserve. But even if they don't, it, that's not a guarantee. Even if they don't, we're still, our call is to, is to love our spouse unconditionally, sacrificially. Now, that's not to say that we shouldn't communicate our needs to our spouse. Communication, um, talking about our needs, our emotional needs, our spiritual needs, that, that's definitely important. But what I'm saying is, is that our, our main focus should be on our spouse. And it's not going to be easy marriage those of you who, who are married we, you know it's marriage is not an easy thing you know you're, you're taking two sinful people you're bonding them together and that sin doesn't just magically go away as a result that that sin is going to is going to co- cause problems but even if it's hard i you know one of the, the things I'm, I'm trying to emphasize this morning is that marriage is important and so i'm not saying it's not going to be hard but marriage is, is important it, it's worth. Worth the time, it's worth the effort that we put into it. All right, so that leads us to the, res- the response. We've said that marriage is important, it's exclusive, it's a deep bonding covenant between a husband and wife, uh, in which each party is, is called to self sacrificially, unconditionally love one another. So, how then are we supposed to act as a result of these truths? How do we live in obedience to God's plan for sex and marriage? I think the first thing is, is we need to take marriage as seriously as God takes it. So if, if, you are no, if you're not married yet, uh, if you're single, uh, I would just encourage you, you know, if you're thinking about it or when you think about it, just make sure that you, you don't, enter, enter, don't enter into the marriage relationship lightly. Um, make sure you, you consider, make sure you understand what you're called to um, in the marriage relationship. Make sure you understand what, how God views marriage. I would encourage you to, to go through premarital counseling and you know really go through um, what this looks like. Count the cost of, of what you're being called to and if you are married you're, you're not off the hook because you know intentionally nurturing your marriage is, is a priority or I'm sorry make intentionally nurturing your marriage a priority. This, this should be something that we actively do throughout the entirety of our marriage. You know, this isn't something that you, you take a vow once up at an altar and then, and then you're good and then you're done. You don't have to worry about it anymore. And this is, this is something that I've, I've struggled with. You know, I, I tend to not be a multitasker. I like to solve a problem or, you know, a project and, and finish it and then, then I'm done and then I move on to the next project and the next problem. Um, but that's, that's not what marriage is. You're never, you're never done you never solved marriage. It, it's something that continually requires work. Uh, it continually requires a, a coming together, a, a cleaving, a bonding with your spouse. Um, if, if we're not actively, intentionally seeking to um, unconditionally love our spouse and to understand them and, and to grow together, if we're not doing that, then we're, then we're uh, drifting apart. And that's something that, that I've seen um, you know, as, as we've gone through through marriage and um, something that I continually have to have to learn and con- constantly have to remind myself. all right, so take marriage as seriously as God takes it, and then secondly, we're called to pursue a relentless removal of sin and in our passage this morning, uh, specifically removal of sin uh, in, in terms of, of lust let's go back to our passage I'm, I'm going to go back to Verse 27. Uh, Matthew five twenty-seven says, "'You have heard that it was said, "'Do not commit adultery. "'But I tell you, "'Everyone who looks at a woman lustfully "'has already committed adultery with her in his heart. "'If your right eye causes you to sin, "'gouge it out and throw it away. "'For it is better that you lose one of the parts of your body "'than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. "'And if your right hand causes you to sin, "'cut it off and throw it away. "'For it is better that you lose one of the parts of your body.' than for your whole body to go into hell so this this seems kind of severe this seems kind of harsh right you know um it seems maybe a bit overkill at at first glance um you know especially like you might ask the question you know what's what's the problem with with lustful thoughts as as long as i don't act on them as long as i keep it within my head and nobody knows it, it doesn't seep out it doesn't influence my actions you know what's What's the harm in that? You know, why is Jesus taking it a step further beyond the action into, you know, why does Jesus care about our our thoughts and our hearts? And I think it's it's important to remember a couple of things. Uh, First of all is that temptation is never satisfied. You can't get rid of sinful desires by indulging in them. You can't get rid of temptation by stepping a little bit into it, you know. Temptation, sin, it's never satisfied with just a little bit of sin. You know, affairs almost always start out with, with seemingly innocuous thoughts. Um, you know, it's, it's a lot easier to, to take a further step if you've already taken that, that first step. Uh, if you've already been thinking about it, if you've already been imagining it, it it's, a, it's a lot easier to actually take that step into, into doing um, so we wanna, we wanna be careful not to, not to take those first steps. And secondly, I think it's a lie that our own thoughts only influence us. Because our, our own personal thoughts, they do influence other people. It, it, it impacts the way that we interact with people. It impacts you know the micro-expressions. It, it impacts the, the standards that we, we hold, the expectations that we have for our spouse. You know, it's, we're no longer, when we're thinking about other people, when we're fantasizing about things, You know, we're no longer 100% committed to our spouse. You know, they're, they're sharing space with somebody else in our minds. And what we think about, what is in our heart, it, it seeps out into our actions. It seeps out in the way that we relate to others. And so it's, it's impossible to, to only contain sinful desires sinful thoughts to our own mind it it impacts others it impacts our relationships so it's, it's important for us to to pursue this relentless removal of sin and to take drastic actions as jesus talks about in you know cutting out your right eye cutting off your hand going through these these drastic measures in order to root out these these sinful thoughts uh, these sinful desires that we have in our, in our minds and in our hearts. So how do we do this? How do we pursue relentless removal of sin? You know, is Jesus actually calling us to literally cut off our hands or, or gouge out our eyes? I think not. <laughs> but I think, I think he, what he is saying is, he's, he's saying remove ourselves from these tempting situations. Our eyes are the, are the ones that, that see our hands are the ones that interact. And he's saying, get rid of things that lead us into this, this type of thinking, um, this type of, of frame of mind, a frame of heart. Remove different things that, that are outside influences on our hearts. Our hearts, you know, our, our hearts are, are sinful and wicked enough on their own as it is, and we don't need additional outside influences to, um, to stir that up in our own hearts. You know, I, I like the illustration, um, the late Billy Graham, you know, he, he had a rule. Uh, he resolved never to be alone with, with another woman in any circumstances, even if it was for, you know, um, circumstances or, or reasons that, that weren't um, sinful or, or, or were harmless. But even, he didn't even want to put himself in a, in a possible situation in which that could even be a possibility, either for him or for accusations against him. And there, there are stories about him when he would go into a, into a hotel room that he would have the TV removed just so he, he wouldn't be tempted, that he wouldn't even have that as an option. Um, and there's, there's nothing wrong with, you know, with, with relationships with, um, with the opposite sex that that aren't romantic there's nothing wrong with with tv in and of itself um but at least in terms of of billy graham you know these were it was worth the sacrifice of these things it was worth the sacrifice of, of things that might be good it was worth the sacrifice of of um getting rid of these things in order to to protect him um to to take this this seriously and, and pursue a relentless removal of sin. And now we, we talk about the Pharisees, and uh, you know we um, we talk about how it was how they got it wrong in terms of the law. We talk about these these hedge laws, these boundary laws that they they put in in place to protect the law, you know, and and we kind of disparage them in a sense of you know how could they. Be so silly and creating all these hundreds—I forget the exact number. How they create all these hundreds of laws? Um, but I, th- I think it's important to remember that that creating boundaries, you know, being intentional to to keep ourselves from sin—that's um, not wrong, and that that's actually something that, that is good uh, for us. We just we just can't lose focus on the heart of the issue. Uh, we can't lose focus on on the condition of our hearts as as a primary concern you know these these boundaries they can help protect our hearts um, but our hearts themselves are are deceitful and and wicked and um, so we have internal sin that we need to to work on but you know putting these boundaries in our lives uh, can be helpful we just we just can't put all of our faith into them um, because um, we are we are sinful on our own All right, so remove ourselves from from tempting situations. But I think it's it's important not to just remove sin from our lives. I I think we need to fill our hearts with things from God, to fill our hearts and fill our minds with good things. We see this in Philippians 4, 8. Paul says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, If there's any moral excellence and if there is anything praiseworthy dwell on these things i think if we we take the approach in which we just try to cut out sinful thoughts from our minds that just creates a vacuum in our minds and our hearts that those sinful thoughts and um, sinful desires will just creep back in but if we fill our hearts and our minds with with truth about god understanding his love thinking about these things that are honorable that are just that are pure You know if we are focused on that filling our hearts and our minds with those things then those things will will push out these these other sinful desires and um, if we focus on the things of god then we won't won't have room for for these sinful thoughts okay can we just stop and acknowledge that that this is hard (laughs) this is this is a high standard this is um something that is difficult to pursue uh, this type of relentless removal of sin. You know, many of us have, have been Christians for a long time. Many of us have been struggling with the same sins for years after years, and um, it, can get, it can get tiring, right? I mean, it, it's this relentless removal, this pursuit of, of getting rid of sin in our, in our lives and in our hearts. Um, it's difficult. Um, you know, you might, you might ask, is there, is there hope? Is it worth the effort that it takes you know i i put in effort but it's it's just not working for me i'm not seeing much progress you know, is it is it worth the effort um and i think you know obviously i'm going to say yes i think the effort is worth it um for for progress you know if as we look at our our spiritual life um you know if you look back at your past who you were before christ and See the ways, and, and just kind of remind yourselves. And um, if it's, if it's hard to, to bring to mind, just ask that God would reveal the ways in which you've grown. And it, it can be frustrating this this pursuit of of, um, of holiness. But I think if if we're honest, and you know we we evaluate um, the way that Christ has been working in our hearts, the way the Holy Spirit has has been working in our lives, we can we can see progress. We can see the ways in which which God is is working in us and a lot of times this this progress isn't in the form of okay i feel like i'm a better person it's okay i'm getting deeper and deeper and deeper into the heart issues you know we, we start off kind of dealing with um kind of superficial things, not superficial things, but, you know, as we continue this, this pursuit of, of eliminating sin, we're going to continue fighting sin the deeper and deeper we go, but there is this progression as we continue to, to root out sin and to f- fill our hearts with, with holiness and goodness. Um, there is progress, but if, you know, honestly, we're not going to reach perfection in this life. That's something that, that is reserved for, for eternity. When, when Christ comes back, a second time. He's going to, to set everything right. And then at that, that time, uh, we no longer have to, to worry about the effects of sin. We no longer have to fight this fight uh, that we're, we're struggling with now. So there, there is hope um, that one day we won't have to, to fight this struggle that we, we find ourselves in. I think, I think sometimes the fight and the struggle, um, as we as we fight the good fight and and live this this christian journey it, i think it, it should lead us in order to more fully appreciate and understand the depths of god's love the depths of god's grace the uh, you know the amount um that he's done for us in in cleansing us of of these things and um so i you know, it's, it, it makes me at least appreciate God's gift of grace all the more and makes me look forward to, to his second coming all the more uh, as I wrestle with these, these sin issues. Okay. I think we have to, we have to answer, ask and answer a question that, that might be raised during this passage. And it's a detailed question, um, but I, I think it's, it's something that, that we need to address. And, and the question is uh, is in, related, in relation to divorce. And the, it's, if I'm divorced, am I allowed to remarry? And this, this is a, a difficult question. Uh, and I think we, we have to go back to that approach that, uh, that we talked about at the beginning of, of looking at the principles, understanding God's vision, and then from that, then we can apply... Um, what those principles mean for, for our individual situations in terms of if you are divorced, is it okay to remarry? So I think I think the main principles in play here are, first of all, that the marriage covenant should not be broken. I think I think we can all agree that divorce is not God's intention. And we see through through Jesus's Jesus's um, answer in, in Matthew seven, um, The marriage covenant, it's it's deeper than whatever the civil law might say. So the the courts don't have the final say in terms of when that marriage covenant is broken, at least in in terms of God's eyes. And so I would say, in general, no. The answer to that question, are you allowed to remarry, in general is no. You should not remarry after divorce. That's not God's plan for, for marriage. Now, there are exceptions, and we see that exception in, in our passage uh, this morning. And that the exception that is in our passage is in, in cases of adultery. And Jesus doesn't explain exactly why this is an exception, but I, I think um, in terms of the way I, I read it and I understand it, is, is that the marriage covenant has already been broken in that case. You know, as uh, the act of, of adultery happens... You know that plus the the civil um, legal breaking of that marriage bond through through divorce in the courts. I think those things together it breaks that marriage bond, um, and that that marriage bond is, is no longer uh, in place. And that's that's not ideal. That's not the 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 plan for for marriage. But in that case, um, that that marriage bond has been dissolved, and and you are free to. remarry. Uh, There's also another exception um, Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 7 regarding if you are a believer, if you're a Christian, your spouse is not a believer. uh, There's a provision for allowing your spouse to leave if they want to. I'm not going to get into all the details of that. If that's your specific situation, you know, feel free to to come and and ask John or I a question about that. Um, Or if, in just in general, if, if this is something that is applicable to you, and you want to get more information about how these principles, how God's view for marriage applies to your specific situation, uh, John or I would love to to go through this with you and kind of help you process through um, what the right path is is for you going forward. Sound good? All right, so if, if you read this passage, you know, as we're going through it, you know, if, if your response is, you know, this is just, way too difficult to obey perfectly. You know, how could anybody live up to this standard? It's, it's just unable, we're just unable to attain to this standard. And how could anybody live up to it? You know, when, we're, when you're asked that question, then you know you're on the right track to understanding the standard of what God has called us, um, who he has called us to be and what he has called us to do. You know, the standard is perfection. The standard is God. That's what it takes in order to, um, to get to heaven. But only God can meet that standard. Only God can be that perfect, um, meet that perfect standard. And Jesus, who is God, he came to this earth, he lived a perfect life, he died on the cross and rose again. And he, he fulfilled that standard for us and we can enter into um, getting that righteousness of, of getting our sins cleaned getting that righteousness imparted onto us by placing our faith in Christ uh, and our, our sin is wiped clean. And that's, that's the gospel message. That's, that's what we preach each and every, mor- every Sunday morning here at, at Mission is, is this gospel message. of the, the standard that God has called us to is, is high, but, but Christ satisfied that. He accomplished that. Um, and he, he paid the, the penalty for our inability to reach that. Uh, So that's that's the good news. That's the um, what we are excited to preach about every every Sunday, Um, and that it applies to every single aspect of our lives. You know, we, we talk about it every week because it's applicable to everything that we do. You know, the the gospel it sets us free from the law of sin. You know, we're free to pursue Christ to pursue obedience without the condemnation that sin brings. We can take joy in our progress, our sanctification. Um, our progress of growing in christ-likeness without having to worry about without having to get weighed down with our failures you know that that's good news that that the gospel sets us free to to pursue god to pursue this type of uh relentless removal of sin and this pursuit intense pursuit of holiness without fearing that we're going to fail because christ has already won for us that's good news let's pray dear lord we just uh we just come to you humbled um just humbled in um just our inability to to achieve the standard that you've called us to um but just overjoyed um and thankful that that you have have satisfied that standard you have paid the price for our sins i just i just pray that you would um just help us to grow in this pursuit of of eliminating uh sin uh specifically in our case this morning the um, the sin of, of lust and, and adultery and um, not being faithful and um, uh, loving our, our spouses unconditionally and, and sacrificially. And so I just pray that you would um, just give us grace. Uh, may we uh, be intentionally focused on these things, intentionally focused on you, um, and, um, yeah, that we would just, just seek after you. And so pray this all in your son's name. Amen.